Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us under the Burn Orange Nation podcast feed. You can find our content wherever you find Texas Longhorn podcast, really any podcast host, whether it's Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, all of the major players, anywhere where you find good stuff, you can find Kyle and I. You can also connect with us on Twitter at LonghornPod. You can choose an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by my good friend, the Panini Priest, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, and other food-related news. Happy National Chicken Wing Day to all our listeners out there. Apologies that this is coming out Tuesday, so if you missed all the great deals that were on July 29th, National Chicken Wing Day, I'm sorry. I am eating American Deli out of Atlanta chicken wings tonight. My wife, Drew, is waiting, timing it right, so the podcast finishes. I got hot lemon pepper wets coming at me, so... (laughs) Life's good right now, my friend. How are you? Bone in or bone out, Kyle? I will I will say this. I I love both. Um, I don't think of bone out wings as wings. I go to Pluckers, and I love getting basically tenders. But when I say wings on National Chicken Wing Day, I'm talking, you know, holding a wing. I admit, I was a kid. I always went drums. I've recently learned a couple tricks on how to eat flats, get the right twist, pop, and pull, and you're just eating you know, delicious chicken. So that cha- was a game changer for me. Um, we will tweet out informational videos after the show. Just look for those on Twitter. Your wife has already made you a better man. And that's that's all I'm going to say about that, Kyle. Uh, so we've got some great stuff for you. Uh, the baseball team had some staffing changes. We're leading with baseball for the first time in quite a long time. Uh, the recruiting momentum continues. That train chugs along. We'll have Levi Stevenson of Wide Right and Natty Light to help us preview the Iowa State Cyclones. More Texas players on more lists because that's what the time of year it is. And we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So the baseball news to start the week was not what we thought it was going to be. Um, Texas lost its volunteer pitching coach. Scuttlebutt and it happened. And then later on that same day, that volunteer position was not vacant for very long. That morning, MLB star Troy Tulowitzki announced that he was retiring. And then shortly thereafter, that he would be the volunteer assistant for the Texas Longhorns, Kyle, star power coming to the 40 acres. What does uh, Tulowitzki as a coach and as a uh, ambassador for the program perhaps bring to the Texas program? And what's Texas going to do for a pitching coach this year? Well, uh, let me just first start by saying that news came out of left field. Um, I really was was not expecting it. So I can't imagine anyone was. I've searched deep and tried to do research and talk to various people. I don't know what Tulowitzki's connection to Texas, to Pierce, to any of the places he's been is. Um, what I do know is it's awesome. He announced he was retiring uh, from the Yankees and in the next like news break, uh, two hours later or an hour later was that uh, he was officially on staff for the for the Longhorns. So uh, very cool. I'm not exactly sure. I can't wait to hear the story of how that went down. Um, but just from what it means, uh, besides having a guy who a lot of these players probably grew up looking up to, um, uh, you know, a, a guy who is an incredible 
all tools player of the game. Truly, if his body didn't kind of let him down at the end of his career, he's a Hall of Fame player. Um, but a multiple-time All-Star, just an incredible defensive player, one of the best hitters uh, from the shortstop position for about six or seven years straight in Major League Baseball. So what first and foremost it's going to do um, is is attack the two biggest problems that Texas faced last year. Pitching wasn't uh, what made them the worst team in the Big 12. I hate to bring it up, but that is what happened last year. Um, it was losing really close games due to fielding errors and and dumb plays and not getting you know an extra hit or two that could have put games away um so bringing in Tulowitzki to help both with of course the infield defense and fielding and also hitting is huge especially when you consider the shortstop position has been uh really a position of of great interest for all Longhorn fans when David Hamilton declared for the draft and then uh losing uh, another shortstop uh two shortstops actually in the offseason they brought some guys in um but it's it's going to be kind of a, a whole new turnover so it's great to have um again one of like major league baseball's best shortstops of just a couple years ago right there working with the players so i i mean i think there's no way that that's a downside there is you know kind of the 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 bolt-on effects um of course phil haig has been with with uh, coach pierce since 2012 he graduated uh i believe florida international is where he pitched and immediately went on to uh pierce's sam houston staff followed him to tulane and then ultimately to texas he's volunteer assistant sounds like not an important piece but he's been uh integral to, to some of his success with pitchers but um i mean pierce did that with rice to great a plum, uh, and we also uh, we also know that Sean Allen is going to be slated over officially as the pitching coach. So we'll see what those two guys can do, and they have a lot of talent in the arms to work with. But you are basically replacing a guy who knows how Pierce does things in Haig with a guy who is just a fantastic recruiting tool, I would imagine, and also uh, a guy who knows the game really well, who we hope translates to being a really good coach. So I think it's I think it's a win, uh, and and hopefully you know that they can they can make up for any any loss with Haig and the pitching uh, staff. And I've got nothing to add to that other than um, when Troy Tulowitzki was asked about why he joined the University of Texas coaching staff. Uh, he said, one, I'm up for – I think anybody who knows about me knows I'm up for a challenge, I think referring to the needs <laughs> at, uh, at fielding and, and uh, kind of lead off early hitting. Uh, but here's here's where he's, he's really uh, cozying up to us um, – I'll just go and say it, elitist Texas fans. I know the great baseball tradition that's at Texas. I know the history, and I want to be a part of it. Right in my veins. Yeah, the man's not wrong. I mean, you basically get a chance to go to the greatest program in, in the history of the sport, college baseball. I think Texas is, if not you know, the best than on your, your short list that you can make for about two, maybe three programs. Um, and, and coach or play, excuse me, coach with – uh, a guy in Pierce who's, you know, last season aside with some difficulties, one of the brightest minds in college baseball. So um, I think it's a great fit. Excited to see it. So moving on to or really staying with the future of uh, the University of Texas, but on the football side, the uh, big July for recruiting continued. Texas picked up another two Players that are going to be a big role for the University of Texas. 2020 offensive tackle Andre Carrick from Southlake Carroll High School, DFW, stand up. So uh, Carrick comes in at 6'5", 
260 pounds, so a little lean for a tight end if you watch his tape. He looks, or I call him a tight end for a tackle. He looks like a, a tight end on the field. Um but he's got the arms of a tackle and he's got the feet of a tackle. Uh, and he looks like he's going to grow into his big boy body uh, as a senior and then get some Yancey on him and things yep. will be great. So uh, this, this offensive line class, Kyle in 2020 looks like the type of build around class, especially when you add in what Texas was able to do in the last two years to kind of build a championship offensive line unit. I think you can, you can sum this up by saying, keep calm and let Herb, handle it killing it with the puns today um and also you know like i mentioned just uh last week i'm talking with westcott i think uh patented the pyt pre yancey tings um six five with long arms is a tackle i don't care if you're 260 yancey's just salivating looking at that body frame um and south lake carroll again produce they have a, a a lineage of producing uh some great players so i think uh, i think he's he's a guy who adds to the stable when you have talent all over the place you can take a guy who you might be a project who you can take a guy who might not be um you know the the five star number one whatever we'll get that guy in the next class but uh you know it's it's just they're building talent they're building depth uh and and when we think about our our beloved center Shackelford, who seems like he's been in school for 17 years because he started uh from four years ago um uh, it just goes to serve as a reminder that uh, you can have guys who play for two years and then go to the NFL and don't have to start for four years, which we're all looking forward to. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at they redshirted basically what the entirety of the 2019 class or the 2018 class, uh, the 2019 yep. class has some dudes in it. Um, and not to mention the 2018 class had some dudes in it. Uh, mm-hmm. 2020 has, again, some dudes in it with like three top 250 offensive lineman, and then a guy who, like like you said, Carrick, I heard him described as the like the body parts you would give a lab-created offensive tackle. They just <laughs> need to put some weight on him. So I'm interested to see what he shapes out to be. Um, and you know, Burn Orange Media Conspiracy, he could be a four-star by the end of the year. Who knows? Like, who knows what the BOMC is going to do for his uh, for his. For his ranking. So 2021, this that 2021 class is getting scary early. So uh, not a hugely heralded guy, but a guy who um, I think Texas fans are going to love. Juan Davis out of uh, Everman, Fort Worth, again, DFW, Texas. We, we were worried that Coach Samp leaving was going to leave a DFW-sized hole in the recruiting staff, and it seems like that is not happening. But anywho, Juan Davis, 6'4", 217 looks a lot like the dearly departed LJ Humphrey, uh, both physically with his physical attributes and what he did on the field uh, for the Bulldogs, I believe, this season played in that kind of underneath slot big man role and a little bit of Wildcat quarterback. Not just a big guy, uh, but he's also a track guy, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm loving what seeing Texas take guys that you know, are whatever three-star, you know, 350 ranked guys early in the cycle. Uh, Westcott talked about it a lot last week. Like, they're they're going deep and finding the talent that they want, knowing with confidence that they can coach them up. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the trend also of taking guys who run track and are very fast but are also giant is my favorite thing. Gary Johnson, obviously Alabama State 
hundred meter champion, um, played middle linebacker, which is awesome. Um, not a small man, uh, Tyler Owens, who we've, we raved about, you know, a few months ago, just the, the size of his thighs at the state track meet. And now he was basically the second fastest high schooler in the world, just behind the dude, um, in the hundred. So, I mean, it, it's cool. I like this, get these big monsters. I, uh, a little little inside baseball here. I love spending my free time playing either football manager or FIFA career mode, and I love getting a workhorse in the middle who's like just a big holding defensive midfielder who's like six three and also you know just a a fast dude just to crush folks. Um, that let's do that. <laughs> So we're looking to have Joe Hamilton back on to talk some more recruiting Texas in the coming days. We'll have uh, hopefully a couple more big names added to both the 2020 and 2021 classes. So we'll have Joe on there to break down what has been a, I'll go and call an exciting July for the Texas Longhorn on the recruiting trail. We are 33 short days away from football season. We are Closing out on our season preview, we have this week the distinct pleasure of having back on the show our friend Levi Stevenson from Wide Right and Natty Light to preview the Iowa State Cyclones. Man, Levi, how are you doing tonight? I'm wonderful. How are you guys? Not a complaint in the world. There's a there's a lot to talk about with Iowa State. We did a I did my research this Stop week. Not to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So what I really. I don't. We always start with the quarterback, and it seems like just a weird trend. But Iowa State, it seems like the right place to start. You know, one of the biggest stories in the conference last year was Brock Purdy, kind of his emergence, seemingly out of nowhere. He was you know, a low star kid early on in the recruiting cycle. Uh, one of the beneficiaries, maybe, of the early signing period. Uh, he took over for the Cyclones five games into the season and managed to turn into one of the best freshman campaigns in school history. With just seven starts, I think was the was the number. If I did that math correctly, uh, I think it was eight starts if you include the bowl game. Okay, so eight starts, seven regular season. I'm going to count both of us as correct. Um, so, <laughs> what are so this building participation trophy podcast or what is this? Uh, <laughs> can't throw the horns down. That's all I know. Uh, but... <laughs> uh, so... I was thinking about wearing my beat Texas shirt, but with the dollar, with the S is replaced by dollar signs. I was gonna. I was thinking about wearing that, but it felt. Like that was going to be really passive aggressive. It, passive aggression is my favorite aggression. So, on top, so as we talk <laughs> about Brock Purdy, right? He has again crushing freshman season. So, what's what's the sophomore campaign going to look like? What do we expect from him uh, as kind of the full time guy? Actually, weirdly enough, he actually almost kind of undersold his season because he actually had the best freshman season of anybody in the country. He actually had a pretty significantly higher passer rating than even Trevor Lawrence did. He was sixth. He was actually sixth in the country overall in passing efficiency at, amongst all people. Um, and so, and what you, what you saw too, part of his game was that you could just tell that he, he just has a confidence that you do not see from young people uh, very often uh, short from Baker Mayfield. And I, and I hate to make this comp, I hate to make this comparison, but he's kind of like the, more palatable version of Baker Mayfield to the average fan, if that makes sense. Not a hard. Where he's got that, he's got su- he's got supreme confidence in himself and his teammates. He's a hard worker, all that. So he's got all of, like the intang- the, the cliched intangibles that every coach wants. And he sits there, and you can you can watch his tape too. And he sits in the pocket. He'll deliver he'll deliver a strike down the field from the pocket while he's getting smoked by some defensive end because the offensive line was terrible. And you know, or he'll or he'll go out on the run. And he'll dish out that pump fake that uh, Oklahoma State did not have a ton of fun with 
and uh, or well, a couple other teams didn't have a ton of fun with that pump fake. Um, he's you know he, he's he his high school system was all about the RPOs, um, which so he was already familiar with that that concept coming into college, uh, and. Kind of another thing that's worth mentioning too is that he came in partway through the season after Kyle Kemp was supposed to be the was supposed to be the dude. He goes down like the second play against Iowa, and so now that thing's that that stuff's hitting the fan. And then Zeb Nolan comes in because Brock's not ready yet, so they kind of dumb the playbook down a little bit for Zeb, but it's still mostly there because he's been in this in this system for a while. Turns out Zeb's not what we needed at the quarterback position, and uh, then you you know. And you throw in Brock, you know, the true freshman that, you know, he's in his like was what fourth, fifth game of the season. Um, so the, the playbook is really simplified down. And, and what he did all season was basically on a really on a, on a much smaller playbook uh, than ordinarily he would have available to him. Matt Campbell is kind of notorious for having these really big, big, expansive mm. playbooks. Um, and Brock had maybe a third of that to work with last season uh, and also no offensive coordinator. Um so he he did pretty well given those two things. So now he's got Tom Manning back. Who, I mean, he he went to the Indianapolis Colts for one year and turned Eric Ebron into a Pro Bowler as a yeah, at the tight end spot. Comes right. back. He's a he's a he's a polished play caller. He fits in perfectly with the Iowa State staff because he was here two years ago and did a great job. He's uh, he's he's great at his job. So he's got a good offensive mind calling his plays. He's got an extra year of experience in the Big 12 at the college level. Where he's got lots of starts. It's not just it's not just him showing up for two games at the end of the season and playing well. He played eight games. I mean, that's you know that's more than half the season. Um, so I think this season you can look to he'll you can expect to see uh, a couple steps forward as far as decision making. There was a few times last year where he just made freshman mistakes that you just kind of expect to make, where he stared down a receiver or something like that and threw an interception, which that happens. Everybody was. Ex- you know, everybody was expecting it, but you, you tolerated it because of all the other great things he was doing. So it wasn't a big deal. You'll you'll probably see a lot of that gone next year. You'll see you won't see him staring down a receiver and throwing an interception on a curl route or something like that. Um, and then he's also just got more available to him now. He's got um, he, he's got a bigger playbook to deal with. He's got more weapons now because the tight end spot at Iowa State has suddenly made this crazy renaissance where you've got three dudes that are you know they're they're starting Big Twelve caliber tight ends. Um, you got lots of, you have, it's young, it's unproven talent, but there's lots and lots of talent, uh, at both the receiver and the running back positions. He's got weapons all over the field, uh, that can help him out different weapons. We're not, we don't have an Alan Lazard or Hakeem Butler. Um, well that we know of, I should say Sean Shaw. He's a, he's a redshirt freshman from Oklahoma. Uh, he's six, six and a half. He's bigger than, he's a little bit bigger than Hakeem Butler is. Um, and wow. he could show up and maybe, maybe we just have another good tall receiver. Um, but we'll have to see. He's just a redshirt freshman, um, so I'm not going to put that on him. But uh, Tariq Milton and Shante Jones are both very capable receivers uh, at, at the slot, and actually Tariq will probably play on the X position on the outside. So he's got lots of weapons. The offensive line has been a problem for a long time at Iowa State, but towards the end of the season, they actually started playing pretty well. And actually in, in, in the Alamo Bowl against uh, Washington State, which Washington State had a good defense, and they they road graded Washington State. If you take out all the false start penalties out of the game, they I mean they dominated them. Out, Iowa State outgained Washington State by like 150 yards. They were playing well. They've got the entire offensive line back, every single one of them. Which, for a struggling offensive line, that's kind of you can kind of take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. He's like, do you want everybody back? <laughs> um, but I think for the most part, in this case, having everybody back is good. 
uh, especially because you've got a few young guys there. You've got some really good, uh, some really good talent in there. Josh Kniffel is widely regarded as one of the best linemen and individual linemen in the Big Twelve. Um, See, so he's got he can he can get some protection. He's got talent all around him. He should be making less mistakes. He's got more just more flexibility available to him. There'll be some new concepts, things like that. I think you can see and expect him to maintain his efficiency on a greater volume, if that makes sense. Which I think is is about as impressive as you could ask for with based on where he was. I wouldn't expect any sort of drop in inefficiency. I don't see any reason there would be, but his volume will increase. Very nice. That's uh, that's fantastic. I'll give you a freebie right here. You said he did pretty good just in the future. Pretty good. It's right there, low-hanging fruit. Um, <laughs> the problem is that low-hanging fruit fell off the tree a long-ass time ago. It really, as soon as he like came in the game, it was like, huh. Well, because he like came in the game and it was like, his fourth pass of the attempt of his career, he chucked a, like a 35-yard bomb downfield to Hakeem Butler, who caught in the end zone. We're like, oh, that was pretty good. And all of a sudden, that was, that was, Twitter, was the beginning of the end of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Twitter immediately logged on and collectively sent the tweet and then moved on. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that, I, I will say, I mean, he, he watching a lot of his games last year, he did look great. Probably his worst game of the season, I think. Maybe the reason Gerald undersold a little was against Texas. But there's a guy, there is a guy who has had no trouble getting his against Texas, who has moved on to the next level. Um, David Montgomery, I mean, arguably, I think the the best back in the Big 12 last year is now suiting up for the Chicago Bears. Um, so is there a name? Is there someone who's separated from the pack? Are we seeing a committee? Who's the uh, who's the Iowa State uh, heir to the running back throne? So that's actually a – that's that's apart from the offensive line, that's kind of the magic question right now. Um there's really five guys, and in the past, if Iowa State had a five-way running back competition, that's a horrible thing because all that means all five of them suck, and we're just trying to figure out which which one <laughs> sucks the last. Yeah. Um, but we're in a, we're in a different we're in a little bit uncharted territory right now because all five guys that could be that are vying for kind of the main back role, no matter who ends up taking the most carries this season, it'll still be a running back by committee no matter what because they're all they all have different they're all different skill sets. Um, but there's any, any of the five of them, if, if no matter who got the pride, the most amount of carries, everybody be totally fine with it. They're all good backs. Like even, you know, you have, you have Darrell Brock and Brees Hall, who both were top 10 running backs in their class coming in as true freshmen. Um, you have Johnny Lang, who's, who's a quick guy. He can catch balls out of the backfield. He just does a little bit of everything. Kennedy Wongu is extraordinarily fast. Yeah. Uh, he's versatile. He can get out on the outside and really punish people on the outside. If you can get him space, Sheldon Crony is a good one cut bruiser on the inside. Um, Sheldon Crony is probably, I would say probably if you're, you know, if you're going to rank based on just raw talent, Sheldon Crony is kind of the workman's running back. He necessarily isn't necessarily just the most naturally gifted dude, but he's just a hard worker. He's a good runner. Um, you know, if he's your starting running back, nobody's complaining at all. So, and actually, I have a, I have a really, I have a, a hot take of the century here for you. Ooh. So, I actually think, so based, what made Dave Montgomery great was his ability to make something out of nothing or make a lot out of something. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he, the problem here, though, because he, he only averaged like 4.4 yards a precarious career. Nothing, not anything remarkable. But you also got to remember that he averaged something like 3.5 after contact. Right. Which means he was averaging essentially getting hit at the .9 yard line by a <laughs> defensive end or something like that. And he was still doing what he was doing. Um, so 
Yeah, which was great because that was what Iowa State needed because the offensive line just was not ready. And they got a back that could absolutely maximize the yardage out of what they could provide. Now you have, ooh, excuse me, you have an offensive line that is more capable of, of creating some some running space. Now, Brees Hall and Jarrell Brock, especially Brees Hall, he came out of, he's out of Wichita, Kansas. Um, he is a... He's he's a little bit he's a little bit taller running back. He's like closer to like six one, six two ish. He's a little bit taller running back. Um he's he can really stride it out. He actually if you look at his high school tape, they actually lined him out at wide receiver a bunch and he would they'd send him on fly routes and stuff like that. So he's a good receiver out of the backfield. But my hot take mm-hmm. is that Brees Hall will actually be better equipped to run behind a good offense this good offensive line than Dave Montgomery would have been. So I okay. think if the offensive line is doing its job and Brees Hall becomes what everybody thinks he can be, I think we could be looking at Brees Hall in a couple years as saying he's as good or better than David. And I think there's a, yeah, <laughs> I think there's a, I think I genuinely think that there's a chance. I'm not saying I'm not, he's just a freshman. So it's hard to say exactly what that development's going to look like, but if the line does its job. I think Brees Hall could have a really nice season or, or Jerome. <laughs> There you go. My, my rap air horn app was not working at the moment I wanted to. Delayed rap air horn app. So there's, there's essentially, there's my hot take is that Brees Hall or Jarrell Brock could both end up having better seasons than David ever did. Wow. Okay. All right. We mark it here. Mark Longhorn Republic podcast. Yeah. The week of July 29th. And, and I, I, I want to clear the record up too. This is in no way meant as any sort of shade towards David Montgomery because it's not possible to throw shade at David Montgomery. But. That's just where I'm at with Brees Hall and Jarrell Brock right now. Feeling good. Kyle's I'm dog feeling... was so riled up by that. Feeling yeah. Good. <laughs> the take was so hot, you had my dog barking. It may have also been the air horn. I apologize for the listeners. Uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. So that's what I pride my hot takes on is disturbing animals. There's there's nothing more more Iowa than that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Stereotype. I might want to dig into that one later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. Uh, so the other guy, and this is this is the kind of the other big part of the storyline for Iowa State. Uh, so David Montgomery was like, what, 25-ish percent of the offensive production. Hakeem Butler was kind of another 25% of the Iowa State yeah. production. Um, so he's now going to... Uh, the NFL playing for, I believe, the Cardinals, right? Is that the yes, Arizona okay. Cardinals? So, uh, and I if you the, believe it or not, there was a the Cardinals released a video clip this morning of Hakeem Randy Mo- just mossing a dude with one hand in, pre- in training camp. If you'd believe it, Unsu- uh, unsurprising, unsurprising. Did not watch that for the <laughs> I mean, three years. The lukewarm take here is obviously that he is the best offensive Big Twelve player drafted by the Cardinals uh, in this year's draft. Cough, Kyler Murray. Cough. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding, Kyler. <laughs> I'm not. Okay, so <laughs> Hakeem Butler, 42% of Iowa State's receiving yards in nine of their 20 touchdowns from a year ago. Those are big numbers. Uh, so who who are the people? You mentioned the tight ends specifically, which the Big 12 and tight ends. I'd starting to feel like 1997, and I'm okay with it. Uh, but who's gonna, who are going to be the rest of the guys to step up for the Cyclones uh, to kind of fill those sizable shoes? Yeah, so the thing, uh, the interesting, you know, I kind of alluded, alluded to it a little bit earlier with the Brock Purdy discussion, is that part of the reason that, I mean, Hakeem is obviously an extraordinarily good player, um, and a, a very gifted player too, uh, is part of the reason that he had 
some of the production that he did and why he was so successful and why he made up such a large chunk of the offense is because, like as I mentioned with Brock, is that he had a somewhat limited playbook. They wanted to give him simple concepts, things like that. And you know what's a simple concept? Throw it to Hakeem 50 yards <laughs> down the field. That's a pretty good and effective concept, and it seemed to work out a lot of times. Um, he doesn't. I don't. I don't, I don't think he's going to need that to be successful. As I mentioned, you know, I would say he's got three tight ends. You got Charlie Kohler, uh, Chase Allen, Dylan Sainer. All of them are six six or taller. Um, they can all receive. They can all block. They can. I mean, they're all they're all threats out of the, out of in the receiving game. They can all block for the backs. Um, so he's got re- weapons there. You got Deshante Jones and Tariq Milton. Uh, Deshaun Jones is a pretty pretty established slot guy. He's about everything you could want in your slot guy. He's quick, make, uh, very sharp route runner, great hands. Tariq's got speed to burn. Um, showed out really, really well last year. Um, actually, it was, it was about a month ago now. Uh, myself and Jay Jordan, who is a – he originally went by 52 Trap on our site, but he go, he writes for Land Grant Gauntlet now. Um, he, he's kind of their Iowa State writer for them. Um, that dude's a – he is a – schematic genius um mm. he, he played at iowa state and and all this and we were talking about we went through a, a big deep dive of the roster and took a look at all the guys in the roster and we kind of put them into tiers for you know who's got something to prove who's exciting who's got something to prove who's you know who's good and can be great and who's you know all who who has a chance to be you know an all-time great at the school and Tariq milton was ended up we both ended up putting him in our chance to be an all-time great wow. um and it just as in now he'll just be a redshirt sophomore um, because if you watch his tape, you know his stats won't blow you away. But what you will see is you'll see really sharp route running, lots of lots and lots of speed, good hands. And whenever he whenever he had the opportunity to make a play and get yardage and make a big play, he did it every single time. And that's what you look for out of your out of your big time players. So he's not a physically dominant receiver like we've seen out of like Al Lazard and and Hakeem Butler where you can just literally he'll just beat whoever's guarding him just because of how big they are he's not that kind of guy because he's like 5'10 or something like that he's not huge um but he's got he's he's uh he's an extremely smart player he's very good at finding space Brock Purdy's good at finding people in space um so that's a weapon that they that he can use I mean, really, all at least four of the running backs are good receivers out of the backfield. Sheldon Crony's still pretty serviceable. You're you're okay with him catching balls out of the backfield too. But the other five, but the other four are are good good to really good receivers out of the backfield. Um, if I if I had to, I guess if I had to put a name on a guy, I would say probably Tariq Milton. He's he's the guy that I would I would assume will probably lead lead the team in receiving just because he gives them the most flexibility. He can line up in the slot. Um, he can line up outside. He can do everything you need him to do. They'll they'll bring him around on reverse on like jet sweeps, things like that. They'll use him. They'll get the ball in his in his hands as much as he can. Because even during his redshirt year, everything coming out of camp was Tariq Milton, Tariq Milton, Tariq Milton. You need to see this guy play because he was just explosive. Like every every single all of the older guys were gushing about him even during his redshirt year, and we saw the potential there last year. You know he he kind of got hidden a little bit behind Hakeem Butler. Um, and Deshaunta Jones a little bit too. This is, this will be his opportunity to shine. He's got a quarterback that'll be looking for him. So I mean, I, I think you, we've spent a, a really good amount of time talking about what I think is going to be you know a, a potentially very good offensive unit. But I think the thing that makes Iowa State stand out um, under I believe now the fourth year uh, in the Campbell era is he he puts good defense. It's probably the best defense in the Big Twelve last year. One of the best, especially against the run in in the nation um, last year. He puts good defenses out there, and he brings a lot 
back. I believe eight players uh, on on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so building around that side of the ball while you kind of let those offensive might be's and we'll see just exactly how good they can be. But putting that foundation, what are the expectations for you know the Iowa State defense? Is it to come in and carry the team immediately? I don't know if carry the team is the right word. I mean, it'll be the strength. I don't think they'll need to carry it because, I mean, you got Brock Purdy back there, and, and a good quarterback can solve a lot of problems. Mm. Um, so I don't think they'll need to carry the team per se, but it'll be the strength, no doubt. Um, and and that's and that's that's totally fine because uh, when they're really – when they're I mean, pretty much all last season, they were salty. Um, they really bottled up some really, really good players. I mean, Kyler Murray was the only one that had – I mean, and Texas did to a certain extent to have – success against the Iowa state team and in against the Iowa state defense and other teams had some success moving the ball, but not scoring it or they were turning it over or whatever. They, they find a way to really uh, make it tough sledding uh, for the other offense. And, and you mentioned to it mentioned as well, they've got pretty much everybody back um, including Greg Eisworth, who I think is wildly underrated. He's hmm. if, if, if it would not shock me in the slightest, if he's a Thorpe award finalist at the end of the season, he's, he's that good. Um, and I don't remember if he was a first team all Big Twelve preseason, but if he wasn't, he definitely should have been. He was the Big Twelve defensive newcomer last year, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, he's extremely good. He's one of the. He's probably he's a top five player at his position in the country for sure. And you, and you got Jaquan Bailey and Ray Lima on the defensive line, two first team all Big Twelvers, um, and then across from and then the other DN there in the, in the three man front is Enyo, and uh, Enyoma Wazirike, who a lot of the coaches and a lot of people think that he's better than Jaquan. Um, wow. Like he's on Jaquan's level right now and will be better than him later on when he as he gets older. Um, and you got linebackers, Marcel Spears is the first team all Big Twelve. You could have made the argument that Mike Rose could have supplanted him there. Um, and then you got Will McDonald who who's generating more excitement than the other two. He's a he's basically a he, he's a six four. He was a defensive end. He's play style wise, he's gonna be Iowa State's kind of like their Von Miller, basically. He's gonna be their outside, he's gonna be their edge rusher, but he'll he'll drop back into coverage and he's plenty athletic to do and he's smart. Um, and then we've got that three, three high safety. Look, you've got two good corners coming back, Anthony Johnson and Detrone young, uh, who both got lots and lots and lots of playing time last year and played very, very well. Um, when you lose a corner like Brian Peavy and another one like Deandre Payne, you know, sometimes that, you know, that, that would be expected to be a big loss. Cause Brian Peavy was one, it was probably the best shutdown corner in the country last year. If you look statistically, he was top two for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Anthony Johnson's replacing him. He's three inches taller and more athletic. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's not everything with the quarter with the corner. Uh, but I know the coaching staff feels very confident in those two to continue the legacy of good corners under Matt Campbell. Um, I don't, I wouldn't expect any drop off, any, any drop off there. And you get all your safeties, you get your linebackers back. Mike Rose put on 25 pounds of muscle. Um, you know, you've got tons of talent on that defense. That defensive line will run eight deep, probably at least. Um, and that and that was kind of the story last season too, is how deep the defense was. Because there was, I think, it was, a, it was a three or four game stretch in a row where twenty three or more people made a tackle in a game. Um, wow. I mean, they they just they spread that production around. They bring they bring blitzes from every sort of angle you can think of. I mean, uh, if you watch like the West Virginia tape, you can see it. They bring in. Uh, they're bringing safety blitzes and things like that where Will Greer had a really tough time reading those blitzes. Um, they were, they caused some huge problems, you know, and now they've actually Greg Eisworth, as I mentioned before, he's actually the two say the two back safeties uh, will be different. Greg Eisworth is actually going to be a, what it's what's called our star this year. He's that road, that kind of that robber in the middle of the field that he's kind of a hybrid linebacker almost. So he'll, 
it'll be a blitzer at, at times too, where you have, you know, you have a safety running around as a free blitzer, um, here and there that can, that can really cause them damage, uh, on the other side of the ball. Uh, they've got more talent, more speed, more strength than they probably have ever had. Um, the defense has ever had, you've got giant Haycock. Who's I, I, if there's, if there's four better defend, if there's five better defensive coordinators in the country, I would like to meet them. Um, well, he, he's Todd un- Orlando. We'll start with one, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. You could put him and Brent, Brent Venables. Those are the only two I would even consider taking over John Haycock. The other ones, I'm not sure if you could convince me of another one to take over John. Um, that that defense is going to be salty. It's going to be it's going to put pressure on that the the it's kind of a three two six three three five hybrid package mm-hmm. that that causes some real problems for the air raid teams. They did a great job of bottling up the run next year or last year. They'll they'll be good at it again. They've got everybody back. I, it's going to be a definite strength of the team, and it'll be something that they can lean on as the offense gets into its gets into its new rhythm without having like. A, an all-American playmaker at receiver that they can that they can lean on, um, which maybe maybe they do. Maybe Tariq Milton is that guy. We don't know yet because his production, you know, we don't we just don't know. He's too young. Um, but as the offense gets its gets its feet under them and gets gets a little bit of rhythm, that defense will buy them time. So two things. One, thank you for the three three five. It's been really really <laughs> beneficial for Texas. Thank you so much for that. yeah. That's 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 like a whole another podcast you could do is how that well actually that would be a really interesting like a roundtable to do with a few different with a few of the, of the team the team blogs is how the defense how the actual the Big Twelve I should say is actually really shifting over the last like five years or so because it was all just air raid air raid air raid air raid mm-hmm. for like five years like five years ago when everybody was running the air raid or trying to run the air raid and now there's like a couple teams running the air raid like I mean. West Virginia was Texas Tech mm, was they was. Run, they're probably they were probably going to run some sort of watered down version of that yeah. going forward. You know Oklahoma is still doing their thing. It's not really a true air raid though, right? Uh, I mean, really nobody's running a true air raid anymore, and they're all running hybrid packages, and and everybody's shifting more towards a running game because they know that they can get space like that, or kind of like almost like Oregon was with like. Um, yeah, with like um, the Michael James and stuff like that, where everybody thought they were an air raid team, but they were actually they actually ran the ball really well, and they were just really good at getting space in the running game. A lot of Big Twelves are going, Big Twelve teams are going to that now. They still they'll still carry the stereotype of an air raid of an air raid conference from here till the heat death of the universe. But yes, but the Big Twelve as a conference is really shifting, and part of it has to do, and now it's accelerating now because Iowa State some kind of figured out how to stop the air raid on defense. So now teams are adjusting because Iowa State kind of figured it out, and then Texas is picking it up, and West Virginia kind of had a three-three-five before. Then I don't know what is going on with them. The TCU has been running their four-two-five right, for a four, long two, time, five. yep. Which is you know, and and which a three-three-five you can you can move linebackers and defensive ends around to make it look like a four-two-five. I mean, yeah, you can do lots of different stuff there. Um, there's there's a really interesting shift in 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 scheme in Big Twelve happening right now, and. And it's the Big Twelve has really kind of been ahead of the curve in a lot of in a lot of different things. Right. They started the air raid trend, which the NFL is now picking up on. Other right. conferences are now moving towards more high tempo offenses, and now the Big Twelve is already coming. They're still in the high tempo offenses, but they're slowing down a little bit, and they're going to they're really focusing on getting space in the running game, and they're and they're shoring up on defense. All of a sudden, there's a lot of good defensive teams in the Big Twelve now. TCU, Iowa State, Texas, all have, they have good defense. Texas Tech had a good defense last year. I don't know if they will this year, but they had they had a good defense last year. Baylor's might be okay. 
Um, Oklahoma State's has been kind of up and down. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's there's good defenses in the Big Twelve now. Kansas State's has been good for a long time. Then sure. not that great anymore. Kansas is is randomly good. Um, they've got they've had good individual players now that right. defense is a chance to be good. Anyways, they were I think they were pretty good last year, like third or fourth in the conference, or something like that. Yeah, they their their defense and running game were not the problems. Um, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting. Like you said, I think the the latest innovation is the going back to the Tim Tebow days of fullback as uh, quarterback that Texas is patenting with Sam Ellinger just running folks over when you only have three dudes with their hands in the dirt. But uh, I guess Oklahoma did that with the belldozer. Um, but <laughs> I think that's I I think that's like perfect for giving our our folks a taste of the 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 deep analysis that they come here looking for but, but what, what what people really look for what they really listen to this podcast for is some of the uh the unscripted off the cuff and we know you're one of our favorite guests every year to do this because you have no problem we obviously did not prepare you for anything that comes next so i will hand it over to to Gerald Goodrich to to now uh, walk you gently into the the final segment of our interview here. He says gently, and honestly, we start with this one, and it seems like it's always the hardest one each and every week. But um, if I were to force you to say something nice about the Iowa Hawkeyes, what would you say? The Steelers have really cool uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Have, have, that was, that was, have that one in the back pocket. I love it. <laughs> we, I, I, there's, there's no qualms to be taken with that. So I, I'll move into um, a bit of the more historical here. Um, so George Washington Carver, um, obviously a, a famous alum. Um, I believe the first black student at Iowa State um, when it was Iowa State Agriculture College, probably most famous, obviously, as we all learned in elementary school for his work with peanuts and peanut, peanut farming. So all that said, crunchy or creamy and deep explanation of why so my my opinion on this has changed over the years i used to be all crunchy all the time and uh i i did i definitely preferred crunchy i liked i like well and like i like i like pulp in my orange juice and things like that um so you get a little bit of texture with it too but uh i would say as i've as i've grown and matured i think i'm sort of i'm sort of leaning to the creamy uh I think I'm, I'm leaning more towards creamy peanut butter. And actually I discovered, uh, no, nah, I shouldn't say I discovered, um, not like some sort of pioneer, but I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I stumbled upon, I guess you want to call it that the like Jif naturals peanut butter. Cause I was trying to eat healthy. And I'm like, Oh, this says natural. This is definitely healthier. Um, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I've really kind of fallen in love with this peanut butter. It's good. It's got a little bit, it's got, you know, it's got the, it's got the nice peanut butter. It's got just a little bit of, just a little bit of sweetness to it. It's, really good i I got, i've always been like a i like peanut butter but i'm not like obsessed with it like some people are i'm I'm still not obsessed with peanut butter but i definitely it's growing on me more and more where i like I'll, I'll just have a peanut butter sandwich now where i never would have before so that's a long explanation for probably creamy right now but my my tastes have evolved i would say and then that he mentioned there was jiff peanut butter remember choosy moms choose jiff jiff peanut butter like it. it was good. It was good ad ad read, Kyle. It was good. Yeah. Too bad you're not going to get paid for it. We'll send that to them later and, and wait for our checks to start rolling in. I think that's how this works. I'm pretty sure that's one of those where you like run the ad first and ask for payment later. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> so that's why we, we run all sorts of Google and, and Microsoft ads on our podcast, and we're just waiting for them to reimburse us. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, one one of the columnists for uh, for Wide Right Netty, like Josh Williams, wrote a really good, really cool piece uh, about like why game day needs to come to Ames. Yeah. Yep. So I was looking at it, and I, I believe this this year's matchup is in in Iowa. Um, and if things fall right. Right. This could potentially be like a top fifteen, top ten matchup, yeah. depending on if the schedule oh, yeah. lines out right, uh, right with yeah. Big Twelve and possibly national championship implications on it. So, if game day does come to Ames. What's going to be your sign? Like, what's your game day sign when oh game God. day comes to Ames? I haven't. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about this for a while. I haven't. I haven't decided on anything yet because I, I really want to make sure. I want to make sure I leave a la- like a lasting impact. Like I want it, <laughs> I want it to scar some people. I want it to enlighten others, and I really just want to inspire the world with my sign. Um, so I got to make sure it's good. So I don't, I don't have anything for you concrete just yet. Um, but what I do know is that I will be super drunk um, <laughs> for when they show when the show starts, probably at like nine a.m. or eight o'clock or whenever it starts. I don't know. We'll be, I'll be a couple rum chowder hot chocolates in deep. Before that, nice. uh, probably at least a breakfast burrito or two. And I'll be uh, dipping in and out here and there probably to check my ribs or my brisket. And uh, that'll be my college game day experience. I, I, yeah, <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I, you do not need to have it on the spot, but we will expect at some point in the season by the time we, we meet, whether game day is there or not for, for There's the There's a chance uh, it's going to be a little bit too PG-13 for you guys. Oh, you know that's that's honestly fine. You are the uh, from the the brilliant mind I, I mentioned before the show who brought us the uh, about the TCU German uh, quarterback signing that it should be Gutenfrog. Um, I trust that your at least punniness will come through and uh, and really truly shine. So good. Like my my dream would be that it's a really good surface level pun for all the dads who just wanted the good pun. But then, like <laughs> if you think about it, for like. If you if you just like sit there and just stew on it for like thirty seconds, and all of a sudden it gets really inappropriate, <laughs> just like there's a something's wrong with that person. <laughs> like that's that's my dream. I just want to yeah. I want like I want to inspire the shallow and disturb the deep. That should be your next shirt, by the way. We'll, we'll talk about the shirt company in just a little. That needs to be the next shirt. It's a good idea. It would make a good shirt. So uh, another well known fact about Iowa State: it is a factory. Of, of wrestling it is uh you put a um some tidy some spandex on your boys and they do great things number three all time in wrestling national cha- <laughs> number three all time. we don't have a wrestling team so it's all it's all speculation here but number three all time in wrestling national championships and sent 15 to the olympics with nine earning medals six of those gold medals if you had three greatest wrestlers of all time well, and, and obviously we're we're talking about Mark Henry from the WWE, um, Kurt Angle, and uh, Ric Flair. Now, um, the Miz. I will, I will allow you to elaborate with facts, but first, please answer me this: um, If Matt Campbell had a finisher slash signature wrestling move, you see my WWE theme there. What would you call it? <sighs> oh. I say I'm. I'm gonna do my best here, but I will confess that I'm not a pro wrestling guy. Um, it's probably gonna be something like. It, it'll be kind of like the, have you ever seen the the movie like the Men Who Stare at Goats? 
Yeah, I have actually. Yes. <laughs> um, it's like it's like the 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 uh, the touch of death where like where they like just touch him on the forehead and you're like, oh, it could kill you now. It could kill you in, eight, in sixty years. You'll never know. You just it, it'll strike when you least expect it. It's like, it'll be like something like that. Like it'll be like profoundly boring to watch, but you're like, oh my god! Like it's like, like a slow meltdown over like a minute and a half or something like that, where like the guy like he'll just like poke him in the face or something like that, and then the guy will just like have he'll just like his heart will explode out of his chest, and you're like, I don't even know <laughs> something something crazy, something crazy like that. I don't. What would I even call it? Be like call it, it's probably just something lame like the process. <laughs> it'd be the process that'd be the name of his finishing move that's nice because like that would that. be the most that would be the most matt campbell thing possible that would be so infinitely matt campbell i love it <laughs> so levi this has been incredible man if people want to get more of what you have to offer man where can they find you on the internet Ugh, on the internet where do i want them to find me probably yes. uh probably twitter which I actually don't have a personal Twitter account, but I do most of the tweeting for the Wide Right account, which is at W. Uh, what the hell is our Twitter handle? It's at Wide RT Natty LT um, or Wide Right Natty Light.com. That's where my SAS is usually located. We're not here to talk about that. Man, Levi, thank you so much uh, for coming on today, man. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for thank you for having me. I'm... Great stuff from Levi. So really quickly, uh, we got some more watch lists. I think we finally reached the end of the watch list watch. Uh, so Sam Ellinger finally was named to the Walter Camp Player of the Year watch list. I think that's one of the last offensive ones to come out. And then very on brand for us, uh, Ryan Bushevsky uh, on the Ray Guy watch list, Cameron Dicker on the Lou Groza watch list because cannot skip out on the special teams on this podcast no this is a special honor for special players from the special teams as reported by the most special and special teams focused kicking and punting longhorns podcast on the internet so we are just thrilled um you know between mike dixon reacting to his fifa 20 or excuse me, FIFA, wow, I'm still there, uh, his Madden 20 ratings uh, of his, his speed and strength not being high enough to his liking to both of our kickers being named to these watch lists. This, if you have anything to do with the foot in football, you got to be a Longhorn. That needs to, to be on a, uh, on a bumper sticker. If you have anything to do with the foot in football. Uh, and that was the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? You know, this week I am uh, I'm banging the drum. And, and before I get to my drum, which will be banged uh, today, I'm going to take it back a couple years. One, um, Kirk Vincent Herbstreit, I don't know if this is his last name, Herbstreit, uh, once reported that the University of Texas was a cesspool. Um, he was talking kind of around our transitionary period and days. And, and a lot of... Um, burnt orange colored glasses folks have hated him uh since since that day uh and and i understand where they're coming from i mean now that we have kind of gotten out of whatever cycle of of mediocrity we we were in and whatever reasons cause us to be there there are uh multitudes of podcasts we could do on that maybe we should um i don't think he was wrong it wasn't a great place it was toxic there was things that needed to be improved but he came out today and kirk likes to get the takes out there and stir the pot uh or this this week i should say came out and um talked a little bit about the fact that you know texas considers themselves back and in vegas kind of seems to agree texas uh was uh, released in the vegas odds at a 21 22 1 uh favorite to win the national championship I mean, those obviously aren't the best odds but 
ain't too shabby. Um, and 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 Herb Street said, I, I he loves to go to the Derby. Obviously, he's rich. Uh, he's a horse racing guy, and he hates the favorite. So in this case, I'm trying to beat the favorite because of that. I see value with Texas at 20 to one. With Ellinger coming back, he's got enough weapons led by Colin Johnson, and this team can make some noise. And there's a very good chance they go to Dallas against Oklahoma, undefeated. He's correct. Uh, if they fi- if they're able to find a way to win it, look out because Texas could be one of those teams to keep an eye on. Now, we all know that there is a there is an equal parts cocktail that we like to drink here. A lot of Kool Aid mix, a ton of sugar on top. Uh, just burn orange it up in there, get it nice and sweet. Um, but then just a healthy douse of of tonic of pragmatism, and we try to balance that. And I appreciate Herb Street. He he is getting that Kool Aid even sweeter. So I'll douse with just a little tonic. Remember, we're replacing a lot of players from last year, but we're replacing them with really talented kids. When we go in to week two against LSU, we'll get a real good idea uh, of what this team is going to be. When we show up to the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma, we'll have quite a good idea. And by the time we roll uh, to take Lubbock and wipe them completely off the state of Texas map at the end of the season, we'll really know where this team is. Uh, I don't know that we should be sitting here saying national championship or bust, but I think the fact that we can talk about it, and it is a very real thing, um, is pretty great. We love being the Joneses, but hey, being an underdog ain't bad either. So uh, hook them to to being back enough. It's funny you should mention that. We got... Um, I'm not a betting guy. One of our first po- our first sponsors ever, though, was uh, my bookie, which we are forever appreciative of them. Uh, but some lines just came out this uh, this evening as we record Monday for uh, LSU and OU. And if you are the betting type, Texas is a seven point dog at uh, at hosting LSU and a seventeen point dog against OU. So you know, maybe just just. If, if that's your thing, it may be wise to take some of the uh, change rattling around in your ashtray and see if you can turn that into a nice seafood dinner for you and your, your loved ones. Uh, I've, I've heard something about home dogs. Uh, I think I think they're good things, I think, especially when there's talent. So very interesting, Gerald. Very interesting. Well, Speaking of uh, being at home, two things. One, quickly, I want to bang the drum. Malcolm Roach in his hometown, uh, defensive end for the Texas Longhorns, uh, orchestrated a shoe giveaway for 300 kids uh, who got some brand new shoes. Um, Not anything to say about that other than that's just incredible and I wanted to make sure that I gave uh, that man his proper shout out on the podcast big ups to Malcolm uh, my other bang the drum this week is on some more game day enhancements from uh, from Chris Del Conte uh, so they announced this week a couple of I guess the you know, season ticket packets are starting to go out to people and people are getting information about stuff um, and a couple of uh, updates to the pregame and game environment. So uh, we saw last year that they rolled out fan-friendly pricing on concessions. And wouldn't you know, in the spirit of Walmart, they're rolling back the prices on the concessions this year, which, again, making it an experience for fans. Uh, and then they actually, uh, Bevo Boulevard, that whole, you know, the uh, Longhorn City Limits was a huge uh, win for Texas one of the big knocks on uh, Texas game days that there wasn't really an, an environment. So people didn't show up. 
And if you saw what the home crowds did this year, part of that was probably thanks to what Bevo Boulevard was and did and, and kind of the, the stampede as the players came in to the stadium. So they're adding another thing to the experience, Smokey's Midway, uh, which is going to be on the north end of the stadium, um, basically along the Lost Dodd Boulevard, which is basically just going to be a uh, carnival, like traditional Midway Carnival games. So you can go on uh, kind of the west side of the stadium, get your food, get your beverages, and then on the north side, go try to win a stuffed Longhorn or by popping some balloons or knocking over some milk jugs, I actually don't know what games will be there. But the enhancements to the game day environment, just incredible. Like, I I remember, here's what game day was for me when I lived in Austin near campus, is we would sit at my apartment and watch game day and have some beverages. And then we would watch an early game if it was a later game and we'd have some beverages. And then we'd walk over to the stadium about 15 minutes before kickoff to be there in time for the team to run in. And that was game day, right? If you lived in Jester, you basically just walked down. the. When you started to hear uh, the cannons going off, you walked down uh, <laughs> from your dorm room to the stadium. I lived in like North campus E area, not super North campus E, but I, so I walked over uh, and just walked in and, and the game day environment is just huge. And it's doing things like this. My wife is not a huge football fan. She's not a huge sports fan. She watches them because I watch them and my son is starting to get into sports and she has, um, she's been a Texas Longhorn supporter in so much as if they have a bad game, then our Saturdays are ruined and she doesn't like that. So, um, <laughs> True story, she asked me, hey, Texas plays early this date, and one of my friends wants us to all get together for dinner. Are you going to be okay? Uh, so <laughs> that was just the conversation, right? But we, she and I, for our anniversary last year, went down uh, to the West Virginia game. Unfortunate event, but it was just an incredible game. We actually got to meet the uh, the named sponsor of this segment, Joe Ruiz, standing in line to get right. some fan-friendly uh, food. And my wife came away from that, even a game that we lost, and I was a little tantrum-y afterwards, um, saying that she's now a full-fledged fan. She went un- unmolested, unprompted by me to go buy a new burnt orange shirt for the season and is considering getting some of the new Week Zero Pegasus 36s because the women's for the first time actually look good. So, like, the enhancements to the game day environment are working. And I'm just so, so pleased that the athletic department, the athletic director, is starting to make the fan experience a priority. Yeah, that's that's fantastic, man. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm excited to hear your your wife is uh, is is coming around finally. She's seen the burn orange light, but uh, I'm also I'm excited to be there for the game. So I'm going to my first home game in the Del Conte era. I did go to the Big Twelve Championship and the game in D.C. Uh, last year, which shall not be talked about ever again. Um, but uh, I didn't go to the to a home game last year, so I'm I'm starting off the season right. Go into the the first one to LaTeX. So I will report back what I find in Smokey's Midway, which is uh, a great name. Can't wait for the carnival. I was a Texas Cowboy myself, so uh, I can't wait to see what they do with Smokey in, in general. But um, but I, I am uh, I am excited uh, for the atmosphere. I, it's topical. We're talking about 
the Iowa State uh, preview on this podcast, of course. Um, everyone I know that went to the Iowa State game last year called it some version of like spiritual, um, the atmosphere in the stadium. I remember uh, some games when I was in college when the atmosphere was just truly electric. Uh, there's a Missouri game against Chase Daniel that comes to mind um, and, and just a couple that really, truly stand out. But those are special moments for students, special moments for alumni coming back, special moments for young kids. It's their first time seeing a lot of Texas stuff and help sell the propaganda of getting them to be lifelong Longhorns. Um, and so I'm just, I'm thrilled that we continue to do this right. Um, and I, like I said, I can't wait to go and see it all. You, you, you talking like you just did got me hyped. Like I can't wait. What is it? 33 days. Like I gotta, this, this needs to come sooner somehow. I can't wait. The only thing I'll say again, the line in the food trucks, if they're there, three brothers is never long, but it is easily the, the best, uh, option there because you can get a burger anywhere you can get a pizza anywhere but getting on epas right outside of dkr stadium it's just it's just hard to beat it really it really is but that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet you can find me on twitter at government cheese or at kyle carpenter uh you can you can find me uh just all over the the general internet uh at at large you can follow me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodrich. There are several government cheese accounts out there. Figure out which one is ours. You can follow me on Twitter at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can also check me out on my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds, where we are discussing. We just did a big San Diego Comic-Con episode talking about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So if that's your deal, check me out over there. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook up. Hook 'em. Kicking and punting.